You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me a little later in the week than normal is my co-host, Charlie, and today on the show... We're going to recap Georgia football's 2021 spring practice as a whole. We narrowed our focus just to G-Day on the first episode of the week, but as hyped as we get for it, as I've said many times, G-Day really is just one of 15 spring practices. It's just a glimpse of what's going on. So today, we want to take that more macro look at spring practice in its totality And then we're going to wrap things up today with another edition of Georgia Tennis Talk as both the men's and women's tennis programs prepare to enter the SEC tournament this coming weekend. But first, Charlie, I know you were on the fence about even going to G-Day this year, but you ended up going. But you kind of have this, like you always have this thing against the spring game, right? Explain to our audience, like you are pretty adamantly opposed to going to spring games. You don't enjoy it. I don't like them. Okay, uh, mm, let me say, this year was okay because there were not 93,000 people there. Would I want to go if there were 93,000 people there? No, I would not go. Okay, I gotta dig into this. You go to all the regular season games when there's 93,000 people, so what is the difference in a spring game? It's just a different mindset because it's not a real game. Right, like, fair. I just, usually it's hot the stakes and miserable high. and... It's people or people, really windy and it's rainy. A, yeah, it's been all those things before. Two years goes not pretty. I prefer when they had open practice. I would rather oh, I was, see I, that. I vastly prefer like, and we didn't have that last year, obviously because it was COVID year. But that's one thing that I have enjoyed that Kirby's opened it up to even just the rank and file Hartman Fund donors like that aren't in McGill Society. If you're in McGill Society, you can come to practices, scrimmages, the whole nine yards. I don't got that kind of cash. I don't roll in that kind of company. So being able to at least go to one open practice was really cool. The, the first year we did was really cool. The second year we got to go, it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of watered down to a degree. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think you can, I think those are a lot more revealing about what's going on than G-Day, which is, I mean, I guess practices are also scripted, but G-Day is a little bit more scripted. It's more vanilla. You don't want to see guys in drills, those kind of things. Yeah, I'm with you there. But how was, you ended up going, right? This yeah. weekend. How was it? It was good. Nice weather. It wasn't because too hot. there were only what twenty five thousand people there. Yeah, there were quite a few open seats. Did you notice that? Like I, yeah, there were a lot of empty seats. Which was, I mean, it was a nice day. I know it was supposed to rain, so maybe that impacted people making plans to come to Athens. But it turned out to be an awesome day. Uh, you said your seats were in the shade, right? Yes, that's pretty awesome. Mine were kind of shady too. Um, not where I normally sit, which is cool. Got a different perspective of the stadium, but it was great. It was great to get out there. What do you think about the town? Like afterwards, going downtown. It was busy. So for, I would say, I think I said on the show earlier in the week, it was the first time I would say that I think Athens has felt alive since like November of 2019. Am I crazy? Yeah. It's getting I mean, busier every weekend. Well, most of Athens is vaccinated now, or it has it had at least one. In this small little dose. community, it seems like COVID, I know this has become cliche to say, but it kind of seems like COVID doesn't really exist anymore in Athens. Obviously yeah. it does, but if you go downtown on any given Saturday or any given Friday the past couple weekends, it kind of seems like people are doing what they were doing pre-COVID at this yeah. point. And UGA has even opened up vaccines to everyone on campus. So Have they? Yeah. That's great. 
All right, so yeah, so it was nice going downtown afterwards. I didn't expect it to be like it was. There, I feel like there were far more people downtown enjoying themselves than were actually at the game. But it was great to kind of see Athens come alive again for the first time in a while. And and you and I, after the game, we actually got to meet our guy Josh, who has been one of our longest, longest-term listeners. He's been on the show a couple of times, helped us out, uh, done some picks episodes. Just uh, an awesome dude. Wasn't he like the best guy ever? It was very fun. Josh was nice to meet awesome. Him. Probably, I mean, I, I think it was probably the highlight of the weekend for me, getting to meet Josh, kind of running in like that. So big shout out to our guy, Josh. That was a lot of fun, man. But all right, Charlie, let's get to this spring practice recap. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go back to our spring practice preview episode back in March and revisit the 10 questions that we felt needed to be answered this spring. We told you guys we're going to do it. We're going to stay true to our word. So now with spring practice officially in the books, it is time to go back and answer those questions based on a couple different things, based on the reports we got throughout the spring. And of course, based on what we saw at G-Day, because that's really all that we got to see. So Charlie, where are we starting? All right. Well, with all the talent and experience gone from last year's team, cornerback was obviously the biggest concern going into the spring. So, as you might imagine, the first pre-spring question was, who steps up and seizes the early lead at cornerback? Yeah, this is a question that was on everybody's mind. I think it's still in people's minds. So we're not exactly sure. But who steps up and seizes the early lead? Like we Again, we're gonna, this is probably a theme throughout the show. There's a lot of time between now and the first game in early September against Clemson and Charlotte. Hopefully in Charlotte. We'll see how that works out. But as of right now, I think we had two guys. You got saw the guys start at G-Day, Jalen Kimber and, and Amir Speed. I think those are the two guys right now that have seized the early lead. Speed obviously has been around for years and years, so he's got more knowledge of the system than anybody. Kimber and Keely Ringo were the two top options coming in in that 2020 recruiting class. But Kimber was a guy that was actually able to practice all of last season, whereas Keely Ringo was dealing with the shoulder surgery, the labrum surgery, and that kept him out of practice. These 15 practices this spring, as we said earlier in the week, these are the first 15 practices that Keely Ringo has actually physically participated in. So he was certainly just behind from a rep standpoint. So it made sense that Amir Speed, a guy that's been around for years and years now, Jaden Kimber, a guy who's talented like Keely Ringo is talented, but who had a full year of reps and practices under his belt. It made sense those guys would probably be the top two options. I think that's what I said in my predictions to answer these questions back before spring started. So I wasn't altogether surprised to see those two go out there with the first team on on Saturday. We did not get to see Nylon Green at all, which I was really hoping to see. He's been dealing with a little bit of injury as well. But I think Speed and Kimber right now with Keely Ringo right there. So I, I truly believe as Keely gets more comfortable, he plays faster, understands more what's going on, just feels more at ease with the defense, that he is going to be a guy that steps up and takes one of those spots. But right now, the early lead, I think the answer is pretty clear with Amir Speed and Jalen Kimber. All right. So is this really a three-man battle at cornerback between Speed, Kimber, and Ringo? Can anyone else get into the conversation on that one? In the conversation, yeah. I think there's some guys that can get in the conversation. I mentioned Nylon Green is a guy that's coming in this 2021 recruiting class that we're all really high on. We were kind of pinpointing him as one of those early enrollees that had the chance to make an early impact. And I still believe that, but of course he got set back by a couple of little injuries this, this preseason. He'll be okay. And I think come fall camp, he'll be right in the thick of things as well. It'd be nice for him to have more time in, in the spring to kind of get a little bit more accustomed to the system, to feel confident, to get those reps, all those things. It's certainly not great that he missed out on all those reps, but I still think he's a guy that can factor in the conversation. He's a really talented player. Lavoisier Carroll, the guy that's moved over from running back to cornerback, Look, he's got a long way to go. There's going to be a steep learning curve there. But physically speaking, just from a physical standpoint, I think he has the look of a guy that can be a really good corner. He's got great speed. He's got really fluid hips. He's always been a fluid athlete. He's bulked up. I mean, the guy is pretty jacked up for, for a guy that was a running back. I think he's kind of taken to that position. It's going to take some time for him to learn how to play that. Just Not even just like the defense itself, but just the technical parts of that position. That's going to take time. But I think he's a guy that can potentially become a really good player at cornerback. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. But in the future, sure. Uh, Javon Bullard, another true freshman coming in. I heard some good things about him. He's another guy that his head's just spinning as an early enrollee. He's got to continue to learn the position. But he's got great athleticism, really great physical tools to work with. Just got to continue to learn the system as well. 
But uh, I don't know. I, I really do think it's probably a three-man battle right now, Speed, Kimber, and Ringo. But Nyland Green, once he gets healthy, I wouldn't throw him out of the, out of the conversation. And I still think we're in the market for a, a transfer at the cornerback position. I mean, Jordan Rodgers was talking it up when I went back and watched the replay of the, of the scrimmage, talking about, hey, if you're, if you're a guy that wants to play and you're in a spot that maybe you don't think you're going to start – uh, and you think you should, or maybe you're at a school that isn't really competing for national titles and you want to compete for national title, come to Georgia. There might be a chance for you to find some playing time at cornerback. And I agree with him. So I certainly think that we'll take a long, hard look at the transfer portal. We'll, we'll see who ends up there. We don't know who's going to be in there right now, but there usually is some attrition following the spring. And I'm sure that we will be watching that very, very closely. But I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely only a three-man battle, but right now, if I was a betting man, I'd say it'd probably be Two of those three, whether it's Speed, Kimber, and Ringo right now. We'll see if somebody else can get in that conversation. All right, cool. Well, corner wasn't the only position in the secondary losing talent and experience. So our next question is, who emerges as the top option at star? Well, if you go by what we saw on Saturday, which is really, again, all we got to go with at this point, Latavius Brini unsurprisingly was the guy that walked out there with the first team defense at star the way he ended the season really kind of coming on the last couple games of the year playing well it made sense that he was probably going to be the guy this spring to try out there with the first team defense at g-day and of course he did i think that's another one that i got right in the prediction pre-spring it was gonna be latavius brini but tyke smith the transfer from west virginia he is coming into town he's going to be here for long and i I've, I've made it clear on the show already, my opinion of Tyke Smith, I think he's a guy that fits more at star. He could, could play cornerback, but I think he's a more of a fit at star. He's a guy that played the spear position at West Virginia, which roughly equates to what we do with our star position, a guy that can certainly cover in space, but also has the ability to insert against the run and, and can handle those run fits better than maybe your average cornerback. He's got some physicality to his game. Doesn't mind mixing it up there. So I think Tyke Smith is a guy that, is going to come in and compete right away with Latavius Brini. You don't bring transfers in like that unless, number one, you think there's a need. Number two, you think they can actually come in and compete for that starting spot and be a contributor for you. And I think Tyke Smith fits both of those those elements. I think he's a guy that, look, Brini is, Brini is serviceable. Brini does a good job of run support. He knows the system, all those things. I still have questions about Latavius Brini in coverage against some of the quicker, shiftier guys that he's going to have to cover in this lot position. That's still a question that I don't think has been answered right now, and we won't know until we get in the actual season and we see more of him in those actual situations. Tyke Smith, though, is a guy that we know can do it. He's done it at a Power 5 level, put up big numbers at West Virginia. was a third-team All-American last year. This is a guy that I think has the pedigree to come in and be an instant starter for us. I'm not going to say I guarantee it because Breen's going to have something to say about that. Right now, he's the guy, but... He's going to have to compete, and Tyke Smith's coming. And if I had, again, if I'm a betting man, which I like to lay a wager down here and there, I would go with Tyke Smith right now. But we, as of right now, I had to go with Latavius Breen because Tyke Smith's not on campus yet, hasn't been practicing the team. But once he gets on campus, starts working out with the team, starts practicing when we get into fall camp, I would put my money on Tyke Smith. All right. Well, it's no secret that JT Daniels is our starting quarterback, as Kirby Smart himself announced earlier this spring. But going into the spring, we asked, will JT Daniels take the next step? What do you think? Well, based off what we saw, again, it's small sample size here, but based off what I saw, and I kind of alluded to this, talked about it a little bit on the, uh, the G-Day recap episode, yeah, I think we've seen JT Daniels take the next step based off what we've been able to see at this point. What I heard about him throughout fall camp from a couple of sources, from a few contacts I have, what I saw on G-Day, all of it leads me to believe that this guy has taken the next step. I mean, and look, take this with a grain of salt, but even just listening to Jordan Rogers and Tom Hart gush about how incredible it was to sit down and talk with JT Daniels and how much knowledge he has of football in general, of our offense, of how things work, how mature he is, his perspective on things, all of those elements, how hard he works, his film watching routine, all of that, that, it, it, that in isolation wouldn't be all that much to convince me that he's taking the next step, but that in conjunction with what I've heard from people around the program here locally in Athens, what I saw in my own two eyes, and you add that to the equation, it's pretty clear to me that Jake Daniels has really started. If he hasn't taken the next step, he's well on his way to taking the next step from a leadership standpoint, from mastering our offense, fixing some of his mechanical issues. I really was impressed with some of the uh, things I saw from him from a mechanical standpoint, because we talked about last year how coming up the knee injury, he kind of did a little bad habit there where he wasn't really 
that front leg was all over the place. And he was almost kind of hopping into some of his vertical throws. And that's where some of the inconsistency came with those vertical throws. We saw him push the ball down the field vertically and do it well at times. We also saw some balls hanging up in the air like you saw in the Peach Bowl in that one late in the game trying to go to Jermaine Burton. I think we saw him take some steps to correct some of those issues so far this spring. And again, there's more time to go. He continued to grow, continue to fix some of those things. But I think right now he looks like he looks like a quarterback that's in command. He knows this is his team. Kirby has not only given him a vote of confidence, he's flat out said he is our starting quarterback, no questions asked. Kirby just doesn't really do that. So I, I think the fact that he has a full year under his belt, he's taking that leadership role, guys respect him. He's developing more of a rapport, some of our receivers, so that took a hit when a guy like George Pickens goes down. You've got Arian Smith dealing with injury, you've got Jermaine Burton dealing with injuries, but now he's getting some reps with some of those other guys. They might not get as many reps with normally, so he's building more of a rapport with the receivers. I absolutely think he's, again, if he hasn't taken the next step, he's beginning to take the next step very close to it. And I think we're going to see one of the better quarterback performances in Georgia history this coming season. All right. Well, with J.G. Daniels as a starter, he does have an injury history. He does. So this leaves us a little uncomfortable and leads to our next question, which is what does the situation behind J.T. Daniels look like? Well, you watched Carson Beck, right? Yeah. Were you at least mildly impressed? Yeah. I mean, you're a hard person to please and impress. But, I mean... You kind of are. But Carson Beck, all things considered, yeah, he threw the interception. But I think, it's as we said on the uh, the G-Day recap episode, it's pretty clear that Carson Beck, to me right now, is the number two option. That doesn't mean that Stetson Bennett can't factor in, sure. But Carson Beck, as we said you know, when we talked about him last week on the show in the Week 4 recap, Stetson is a guy that we trust. I think Stetson Bennett is the ultimate safety net. He's a guy that... We have evidence of that he can go out there and win you an SEC game against a quality opponent. Now, we also have evidence saying that he's not going to probably go out there and beat the best SEC opponents. Probably going to win a championship with him. But in a pinch, this guy has proved that he can go out there and win at a Power 5 at an SEC level. Carson Beck hasn't done that yet, but I would maintain, you guys watched it, you saw, he has a much higher ceiling. Our potential as an offense is greater with him back there calling the shots than it is with Stetson Bennett. Now, is he as far along in his mastery of the system and his experience as he have the reps that Stetson has in real live settings? Absolutely not. And that is somewhat of a concern. But as as important as experience is, you still got to side with talent. I always say that, side with the talent. As long as he's like in remotely in the same ballpark. And I think after a year in the system, Beck is in the same ballpark. I mean, technically, him and Stetson have been in this offensive system the exact same outside. Now, Stetson's been around for a lot longer. He's actually taken more reps, whether it was in JUCO, whether it was last year. But Beck's ceiling is much higher. Our offense's ceiling is higher with a guy like Carson Beck in the in the game. So right now, I think he is the number two. But again, if you put, I think you put him in there first. You trust your evaluations throughout spring, throughout all of these situations. And if he's the guy right that you think is number two guy, which it seems to be seems to be the case, he's out there with the number two offense. He threw he had a lot more opportunities than Stetson. Part of that's because we know what we have in Stetson Bennett. We want to give Beck some options and, and some opportunities and see him out there and see what we have with this guy and those kinds of things when the live bullets are flying. But you give Carson Beck the first shot if you feel like he's your second most talented quarterback. He gives you the best chance to win. Now, if he doesn't respond, well, because like we went through this last year, we thought that was going to be Dewan Mathis. Our court, our coaches went, they went off based of what they saw in fall camp at that point, and they felt comfortable and confident with Dewan Mathis. But you get out there and the bullets are flying, and all of a sudden Dewan Mathis doesn't really perform the way he had been performing in practice. Practice in games or different settings. But you give Dewan Mathis the chance, like we did last year. You give Carson Beck the chance if, God forbid, and knock on wood, as I always say, if something happens to JT Downs, you get back the chance. But like we did with Mathis last year in week one, if it's pretty clear early on, it's just not working, then you have that ultimate safety net, that, that safety blanket there instead of to come in and kind of pick you up and hopefully get your starter back healthy at some point. But I think right now the situation is Beck be our number two guy, Stetson be number three, and then your emergency guy would probably be Brock Vanegrift at this point because he's just still very much learning what's going on because he's only been on campus for a couple months. All right, well, do you think we can actually win a championship with Carson Beck at quarterback, if necessary? Uh, that I cannot guarantee. I, that's tough for me to answer, Charlie, because I get the small sample size. Here. I just, it's, just a, it's such a limited sample size. I'll say this. I think that we would have a better chance of winning a championship with Carson Beck than with Stetson Bennett. Is that, is that enough of an answer to your question? Sure. Will you give me that? Like, I don't know. It's just it's tough to say right now with the fact that I've seen him for 
I mean, he took about half the reps offensively at quarterback with the second team offense going against the second team defense. It's tough to say that we can win a championship with him. I, but I will, I am comfortable saying I think we have a better chance based on his ability and his, the tools he has to work with than we do with Stetson. Again, we also have the evidence from last year that Stetson's probably not a, he's a good quarterback, a serviceable guy, but probably not a championship level quarterback. We don't know that the answer is yes with Beck, that he's a championship level quarterback, but we also don't know that the, that the answer is no. There's still a chance he could be. So okay. I would go with that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, I know that you and Curtis discussed um, our next question on the G Day episode. So, who will be the answer at the tackle positions? Can I just give you a big old shrug emoji right now? <laughs> I don't know, Charlie. I want to know. I want to be able to tell you it's gonna be this guy. I was hoping that somebody would kind of assert themselves by the end of spring practice, by the time we got to G day. And I know it's only 15 practices, but at times that's enough to kind of get a more of a feeling of like, okay, this guy's got the lead right now. Like he's the leader in the clubhouse. I don't know if we have leaders in the clubhouse right now at the tackle position. Maybe that's a good thing because it leads to competition throughout the offseason. You go into the offseason training program, you pick that back up here in a week or so, and you have these guys continue to compete and get better, motivates them. Maybe that's not necessarily the worst thing, but I would say right now, I, I just the feel I get from talking to a couple people around town here from what I saw at G-Day, it just doesn't seem like anyone stepped up to take those positions by the throat. Again, I don't think there's a leader in the clubhouse. I guess the closest thing we have to a leader in the clubhouse right now at tackle would probably be Warren McClendon at right tackle. I still think he has a lead there at right tackle based off his experience from last year. Uh, Broderick Jones got a lot of the reps there with the second team offense at right tackle. I think Broderick Jones is a guy that is very talented. Uh, I think he's very athletic. I think he is a guy that long-term has a higher ceiling than Warren McClendon, but Broderick Jones has got a couple of things he's got to work on. He's got to continue to improve his knowledge of the system. He's got to earn the coach's trust. He's also got to continue to get stronger. He had that injury in the preseason last year that kind of set him back from a, from a strength standpoint. Of course, he's starting to catch up now, but he's still, you miss those months. It just takes time to catch up. So he's got to continue to, to get a little bit stronger, learn the offense, become more of a guy that coaches can trust to put out there in, in real life situations. Right now, I think there's just a more of a comfort level warmer clinic because he's just played more than those other options at that spot. So I think he's probably the closest thing we have to a leader in the clubhouse at right tackle, just a little bit more consistent. Xavier Trust, you know, going back and watching the the scrimmage again, I thought Xavier Trust at left tackle did some really good things. He was like the definition of up and down is what I would say watching that. Going back and, and re-watching it, I thought that Xavier Trust had some really, really good reps against the first team defense with some of our top pass rushers, against guys like Nolan Smith, against guys like Adam Anderson. I thought he had some really good reps against those guys where he just stoned them. But there were also some really bad reps where he was completely off balance. He was overextended, didn't get it, let them get, the, he let them get their hands on him first. And typically, as an offensive lineman, you're beat in those situations. So yeah, there were some really bad reps, but there were some really good reps. It was just a lot of, a lot of good, a lot of bad. It was kind of up and down. So, that that gives me a little bit of hope that, hey, he can do it, but you've got to be far more consistent than that if you're going to go out there and play at a high level in the SEC, play the level that we need him to play at to accomplish things that we want to accomplish this year. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying right now he's still got work to do. You got Marius Mims play a lot of left tackle with the second team on Saturday. I mentioned Broderick Jones. Those guys are still learning, but they're extraordinarily talented. I will maintain that Mims and Jones are are our most talented options at tackle. 
And then we had a question last week in the mailbag, what is your ideal starting five on the offensive line? And my answer was, ideally, if they are ready from a knowledge standpoint, the coach is trusting them, that Mims and Jones would be those guys that tackle because they are more physically gifted, in my opinion. The more athletic, they have a higher physical upside. But right now, they're just not quite as close to being ready as guys like Xavier Truss and Warman Clinton. That could change between now and, and September, for sure. But they're just not, they don't seem to be as ready right now. They're making strides, especially Broderick Jones. I saw a lot of good things from Broderick Jones. So got feel more comfortable out there. A couple of times we just didn't exactly know who to block. He got beat on on some some twists and stunts up front. But those are things that come with time. Now, I will also say this. I kind of alluded to this earlier in the week. Right now, I might lean towards Jamari Salyer playing left tackle at this point if we cannot find someone to play with more consistency at left tackle. That is just a critical position, guys. You know, quarterback's the most important position. You got to have good receivers. You got to have a guy to protect the quarterback, to protect that blind side. That's a really important spot. So if we can't find someone that plays with more consistency out there, we at least know that Jamari Sawyer can play at a good, solid level at left tackle. We saw that last year. Plenty good enough level for us to do the things that we want to do. And we have, a, I think we have more options at guard that can potentially fill in there and be okay. So I, I don't know. That's just that's something that just put that out there. If we don't feel comfortable with somebody, if we don't find someone that can be more consistent there, I know Salyer wants to play guard. I feel like we want to let him play guard because that's where his long-term future lies, probably the NFL. But you got to do what's best for our team. And if we can't find some more consistency at left tackle, you can always just fall back on Jamari Salyer because we know that he can play that level, that position at a pretty high level. But there's a lot of time. There's a lot of time for those guys to get ready. But that's kind of where I feel we are right now. All right. Well, let's stick with the O-line for now. And prior to the start of the spring practice, we asked, how will the center battle play out? Yeah, center, I think right now, Warren Erickson, who was the leader in the clubhouse to start the season, someone's going to have to beat him out. He is the guy right now at center. A guy like Cedric Van Pran, potentially Clay Webb, those guys are going to have to prove that they are better than Warren Erickson. I believe that Cedric Van Pran is a more talented option than Warren Erickson in terms of his long-term potential. It's kind of the same conversation as Mims and Jones at tackle. I think SVP, Cedric Van Pran, has a higher long-term ceiling as a more talented player. But right now, he's just a, he's a good bit behind Warren Erickson in terms of experience and all that kind of thing. So it's just going to take some time. What I was told is that he made some serious strides this season, or the, uh, I shouldn't say this season, this spring, and even got some some reps with the first-team offense, but Erickson's still getting the majority of those reps. But there's still a lot to be decided there. Erickson's the guy going into the summer, going into fall camp, but Van Pran, if he continues to progress and continues to earn the coach's trust, he's a guy that can certainly start to eat into Erickson's opportunities to play. I don't know. I, I would still, if, let's go back to if I was a betting man. If I was a betting man, I would still bet on Warren Erickson at this point because he's just got more experience, more trust from the coaches right now. But Van Pran is the more talented option. I think he is the center of the future for us. It's just a matter of how quickly he can progress and develop. It's hard for me to say to, to, to say that I have a definitive answer there. I don't really know. That's up to him. We'll see what happens this offseason. We'll see what happens in fall camp. But I will say there's still a lot to be decided there. There's certainly a chance for Van Pran. It would not shock me at all if Van Pran did end up unseating Warren Erickson and taking that job. But that remains to be seen. Again, right now, if I had to bet on one of the two, I would bet on Erickson. I probably wouldn't lay the bet down because I'm not that confident. But if I had to bet on somebody, I would bet on Erickson right now. All right. Well, the next question took on an even greater importance in the aftermath of the potentially season-ending ACL injury to George Pickens and the minor injury to Jermaine Burton. So how ready are the wide receivers to take the next step? I think we saw some guys take some very positive steps in the right direction. I'm going to go with a guy like Demetrius Robertson, who we talked about in the first scrimmage, reportedly from a couple of sources, went over 100 yards in that first scrimmage, uh, came close to touching that in, in G -day, at, at G-Day, had a touchdown late in the game from JT Daniels, a, a long touchdown there. D-Rob, again, I'm not ready to say that D-Rob has turned the corner and he's going to be like a number one receiver for us. I know he was out there with the first team offense, but that, that was more about attrition than anything. He's not going to be that guy. I just don't I, don't, I don't think you go from what you've seen from him through his career in Athens to this point and say, oh yeah, now he's a number one option. So no, he hasn't taken that kind of step. But D-Rob has not been doing these kind of things at any point in his career here in Athens. You haven't heard these kind of, uh, of, of whispers coming out of camp 
about D-Rob his entire time here in Athens. I mean, the most, most the most positive things we ever heard about him is when he first decided he was going to transfer and he ends up at Georgia. That's when we were all excited. Ever since that point, it's kind of like, oh yeah, well, it's kind of disappointing. So it's just great to hear that he is starting to make strides. And I think he's going to be more of a contributor this year based off what I've heard and what we saw than he has in years past. I still think he's going to be a number one option. He'll be a rotation guy. I think he'll play more than he did last year. I think he'll make more of a contribution, more of an impact than he has at any point in his career. He's not going to be the number one guy, clearly. But again, if we're talking about steps, yeah, I think we saw D-Rob step up in the absence of some of these receivers as a senior leader and take another step in the right direction. Kiaris Jackson's been healthy throughout the spring. I think he's further refining his game. You're seeing him become more comfortable out there. He's just a really smooth athlete, winning some of those 50-50 balls. We saw him make that nice catch on the sideline from JT in the first half. I think it was the first half of the G-Day scrimmage. So I think you saw Kiaris just start to take more of a leadership role and become a guy that we can trust even more. Arian Smith and Jermaine Burton, we don't really know because they both suffered injuries. Of course, Arian Smith was out there in a white jersey, a non-contact jersey, uh, Saturday at G-Day. Jermaine was suited up but did not play. There's no need for him to play there. But those guys just missed a lot of reps due to injuries. Jermaine obviously missed more reps. So it's tough to be able to say they took a massive step forward. I will say before his injury, in a week and a half, or so before his injury, I was hearing really positive things about Jermaine Bird that he seemed like a guy that was much more comfortable in the offense. You guys saw him last year. That was, that was my critique. If there was a critique of Jermaine Bird, is that he just didn't know what in the heck he was doing half the time. And that makes sense. He was a, a true freshman coming out with, without the benefit of spring practice, learning on the fly, thrust into a, spart, a starting job right away. It wasn't like he was just getting out, getting out there and spotting dude. No, he was starting, playing the majority of the snaps from day one. So like, I'm not trying to kill the guy, but he wasn't clearly fully comfortable in the system. When he knew what he was doing, you could see the talent shine through. Case in point, Mississippi State game last year, we almost broke the single game receiving record. I thought he was going to do it. But uh, I did hear that he was kind of taking on more of a leadership role. He was the guy that was clearly looking and feeling a lot more comfortable in the system before the hyperextension of the knee. But he'll be fine. Uh, well, I was actually told if there was a real game, he was he would suit up and actually play. But there's no need to put him out there in that situation in the spring game. So it's, it's hard to know for sure there. But I was hearing positive things about him taking the next step. He was learning the exposition after George went down. He's going to be our ex-receiver. That's I'm pretty confident saying that based off what I've heard. He was in the process of learning that. He's still learning. He just wasn't able to take reps there after the injury, but he'll be back and he'll be fine. And I think he'll take a good step forward. But uh, yeah, I think, and also you talk about a guy like Justin Robinson, who didn't really didn't play much at all last year. Unfortunately, I was really hopeful to be able to see him on Saturday at the scrimmage, but he's been dealing with a little bit of an Achilles injury. You should be really careful with that kind of injury can that, because that thing can really become a, a big problem uh, if, if you don't take that seriously. So I, I'm, I get why we held him out. That's fine, whatever. But I've also heard that, as we talked about throughout the spring, he's a guy that was starting to make some strides. A guy that really didn't play much at all was starting to go, go up and be able to kind of, I don't want to say fill in for George Pickens. You're not, because it's tough to fill in for George. He's not going to be George. But giving us some of the things that George gave us in terms of his ability to win those contested balls, win the top of the route, big physical guy, bigger and more physical than George, but being able to win those tough balls, those contested catches, especially in the red zone situations, that's a guy and Justin Robinson, I think, can do those things. We're hearing a lot of good positive things about him. So yeah, there are a number of guys that I think began to take the next step. We just need them to continue to take those those steps into the summer and eventually into fall camp. All right. Well, since we're talking about wide receivers, are you sticking to your guns that George Pickens isn't that big of a loss? Okay, okay. You're putting words in my mouth here, Charlie. I never said he wasn't that big of a loss. I said that it was, I guess my, my point was, it's not a loss that we can't overcome. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. George is, I mean, losing a guy that's that talented, of course, that is a loss. And if what I've said about him in the past came off as me saying that he wasn't that big of a loss, that's not at all what I meant. I certainly didn't explain myself very well that that's the case. All I'm saying is I don't think losing George is, as I've said, I don't think it's a death blow. I don't think it's something that we can't overcome. I think we do have a lot of talented options. Um, I didn't even mention a guy like A.D. Mitchell in that in the answer to that question. A guy that's an early enrollee who came in right away and it's contribute. It was out there with the first team offense. We don't have one guy that's gonna be able to do exactly what George did. But I think we have a number of different guys that together can combine to give us a chance to actually dictate coverages. That's what we need. We need people that can dictate defensive coverages. They might not do it in the same way as George Pickens, but I we need guys that can do that. And I think that we have different options, guys that can do it in different ways, whether it's Jermaine Burton's route running ability. He's got, he's got a great combination of, of route running ability, good speed, great hands, areas where we know can take the top off the defense, 
Justin Robinson, A.D. Mitchell can win those contested balls. We have a number of different guys that can dictate coverage and win in different ways. So all I'm saying is I just don't think it's a loss that we can't overcome. Certainly a loss, but I think we can overcome it. All right, I'm glad we got that correct. Okay, I, yeah, that's my bad. That's my bad. I didn't mean to jump down your throat. It's just my bad. Me being defensive here, if I did not explain that well enough the uh, the first couple times I talked about it when it happened a couple weeks ago. All right. Well, I know you're an old school linebacker guy, so I'm not you surprised this question made your list of 10 pre-spring questions. So next up, how does the inside linebacker rotation shape up? Well, it sucked that N'Kobe Dean is dealing with a shoulder injury, had surgery, and he can't play right now. But... It's also kind of okay because we know what we have in Kobe Dean. You love for him to be out there just from a leadership standpoint. Now, I what I was told actually is that he's been out there at practice, been incredibly engaged. And Kirby, I think, has even talked about this in some of his press conferences. That Kobe Dean is not practicing; but he's out there fully engaged, basically coaching up guys. So he's out there. His leadership is felt. But you would just like to get those guys some cohesiveness. But on some level, it's also nice for those other guys that don't get as many reps that need to continue to grow. Guys like Ryan Davis, guys like Treswin Marshall, guys like Smeal Mondin. Those guys, are even Channing, Channing Tindall, are able to get more reps for themselves. But if you look at the inside linebacker rotation, uh, I think you're looking at a four-man rotation this year. I think I'm feeling more and more comfortable saying that. And I, I like having a four-man rotation. Um, you know, like, I'm not sure N'Kobe Dean is going to be coming off the field very much at all. Like He'll come off every now and then for a breather, but... I just don't know if you can afford to have that guy off the field all that much. And Charlie, I know you're a Nakobe girl, so that's got to make you excited to hear. Yes. Good to see him. Play. Explain to her like what what is about Nakobe Dean that you like so much? He's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He's very intelligent. Mm-hmm. All those things are true. I see the very smirk. Attractive. Yeah. I. What did you say? Like you saw? Oh, he. You saw him when he could cut his hair. He did. He looks. Be- he looks okay with his hair the way it was. But you like it better. You I like, like the ball look. I like it both. Okay. All right. All right. So we've got a Nakobe stand here, which I get. All the things you said are true. Nakobe's awesome. Except for the attractive part. I'm not going there. But all the things you said about his play on the field, all very true. So I don't think he's going to be coming off the field very much. I love what I saw from Quay Walker. Curtis and I kind of touched him at the tail end of the show uh, earlier in the week in the G-Day recap episode. So if you missed that, I'm going to put it out there. I think Quay Walker, I think Nakobe Dean's a first round draft pick. I think Quay Walker is potentially working himself into that first round conversation. Now he's got to go do it on the field during the season this year, but that dude's a freak, man. I've been telling you all for years, and I told you it was going to take some time because he didn't really truly play inside linebacker in high school. He's more of an outside guy coming off the edge, playing in space. He's going to take some time. But once he figured it out, this guy's potential was just off the charts. And you're starting to see it now. This guy's 6'4", 240 pounds, moves as well as anybody out there on the defense, maybe with the exception of maybe Adam Anderson. But he can blitz, he can cover. He's so versatile, do a lot of things. Then he, it's really starting to click for him. And man, he was all over the field on Saturday. And I, I think that guy's gonna be a first round pick. So I think those are your top two guys. Chain Tino's a guy that really came on towards the end of last year. I think he's gonna be in the rotation as well. And Ryan Davis, number zero out there. If you're not familiar with him, he's a guy that's been injured basically the entire time since he's been here. He's a guy that's got a ton of athletic ability, a ton of potential. Now that he's healthy, I think he's a guy that can carve out a role as a fourth linebacker, kind of get some of these guys a breather every now and then, keep them fresh, and also be a guy with his versatility and his athleticism that can kind of play a role on third downs in some way similar to what we've done with Adam Anderson. Now he's not the kind of pass rusher Anderson is, but he's got that kind of athleticism, and we saw him in some of those situations on Saturday. So I think those are probably your four guys. You're going to be in a four-man inside linebacker rotation this year, and I think we are in incredible shape at inside linebacker moving forward. All right. Well, I think we had about, what, 14 early enrollees on campus? Yeah, it sounds practice. right, 14 or so. Okay, and there's always a lot of excitement around freshmen because we don't know what they can do and how they will develop. So before spring, one of the questions we wanted to be able to answer was, which early enrollees are positioning themselves for early playing time? All right. I don't get things right all the time. I miss things a lot. But I told y'all about Brock Bowers, didn't I? I told y'all about Brock Bowers. Now, this is a guy that should have been rated. Like, he was he was not, like, totally undervalued. I think he was a top 100. I think he ended up in the top 100 national 247 composite. But it's a guy that really didn't, he didn't, he's out in California, didn't have a senior season. So there wasn't, you know, a chance to really see him, wasn't able to go to all those camps. Brock Bowers, in my opinion, was a five-star player. And I know that they the rankings also go on like positional value and the tight end position doesn't have as much value going to these rankers. Although I think that's ridiculous. That needs to change. You need to update and basis off modern football. Tight end position has become a critical position offensively. Brock Bowers is going to be a stud. And it's incredible to think that we have him to match up with Darnell Washington. Those guys really complement each other well. I think those are our, our, star, our, 
our top two tight ends. I know they were out there with the second team. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. I think those guys are going to be our starters. Fitzpatrick's a good player. I like what he brings to the table, but he doesn't give you what Bowers gives you as a vertical threat at the tight end position. Bowers got to continue to get stronger and grow a little bit, put a little more weight on so he can hold up blocking a little bit more because we're still going to run the football. But Bowers gives us the type of threat offensively from the tight end position that we have not had. And that's not saying that Darnell Washington is not a threat from the tight end position. We saw clearly towards the end of last year that he is. We saw it in G-Day as well. Just run over folks. He's a flat out monster. That's another one of your dudes, right? Yes. Darnell, Nakobe, I lose track of these guys. Lorenzo back in the day. Yep. Lorenzo's calves, as you, I, I don't, I, I still don't understand that. Very impressive calves. So, are you telling that women actually look at a dude's calf muscles and like, okay, yeah, that dude's hot because he's got great calves? I mean, they were impressive. They're very defined. So, if like I was just like butt ugly, but I had great calves, would that I do mean, anything for you? I mean, I don't know. That's a hypothetical. I know it's tough, but I didn't know calves were that big of a deal. I mean, he was very, he had very he's also nice super, definition. Yeah, super defined, thin, all those things. But you always he's an elite athlete. I just heard you mention his calves. So I think you actually mentioned it with Josh this week when we, when we, when we met Josh. Nice calves. Sure, we'll go with that. I, I don't think I've ever been attracted by calves, but I, yeah, cool. We'll go with that. Uh, now I've lost my spot now. Uh, but yeah, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, those guys are going to be monsters for us. So Bowers, not surprised at all, honestly, because I I hate to say I expected it, but I kind of did. Cause this, that's how highly I thought this guy coming out of high school. Um, so I think we'll see a lot of 12 personnel this year. A.D. Mitchell, we heard a lot about him throughout the spring, but you know, it's kind of like, whoa, okay, do we really buy this? Like, huh, this guy's coming out of nowhere. But you saw him play. He led the team in receiving, made some big-time catches. There were some catches that that he that were some tough contested catches that he didn't quite make, but he also made quite a few really good catches as well. Really think he's going to be a guy that's clearly positioned himself for early playing time. Maybe not a starter, but he's clearly going to be in the rotation. Chaz Chandless is another guy. We just don't have a ton of depth at outside linebacker right now. He was working with the second team uh, defense at outside linebacker, and I thought he played well. I thought he showed some good get off off the ball. He's got a, he's always had a really high motor. He's, he's a physical dude. He's a guy that's one of those great weight room warriors, and just really by virtue of the lack of depth at that position, I think he's going to be in the two deep. And if you're in the two deep, you're going to play some. So I think he's going to be in line for some early playing time. Smale Mondin is a guy who, so I, I mentioned we had, I think we're going to have a four-man inside linebacker rotation. I think Monin's going to be on the outside looking in. I think he's probably be our fifth guy. But that dude has an incredibly bright future ahead of himself. He could be a starter at inside linebacker as early as next season. If there's an injury, he's going to be, again, don't want, don't want injuries to happen. But if there's an injury, Monin could find himself in that rotation. He's certainly going to be playing on special teams. A number of guys will be playing on special teams. But I think Monin, with his athleticism, has a chance to be like a special teams ace if he, if he really buys into that. So yeah, there's a couple guys I think are going to be instant impact type guys as early enrollees. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Well, we had one last question that we posed before spring practice, which was who will emerge as the top guy to replace likely first-round draft pick Aziz Ojolari? Oh, it's tough to say you're not going to miss Aziz, but Charlie, Charlie, did you see those guys getting after the passer on Saturday? You saw Nolan. I did. You saw Adam Anderson. Very impressive. I don't even know who to pick between those two. I was actually impressed with Adam Anderson against the run. I mean, we know what Adam Anderson can do rushing the passer, playing in space, which he did some of on Saturday. But I thought he did a good job of kind of setting the edge, anchoring a little bit against the run, closing against the run, all those things. I was impressed with that because that's what I want to see from him. I don't, And he's, we'll say he's gained a little bit of weight. He's still kind of on the thin side. But I thought he did a pretty good job against the run, against our first team offense. And if you look, I think I threw this number out there when we talked about this about a month or so ago. If you look at Pro Football Focus's Numbers, their, their stats the, of the, among the power five returning leaders in quarterback pressure percentage. Adam Anderson was number one at 27.1% of his snaps that he was pressuring the quarterback. Nolan Smith was number three, 23.2% of his snaps when he was pressuring the quarterback. It's going to be one of those two guys. I feel confident saying one of them is going to step up and do it. 
It's hard to know which one. I think Nolan might be on the field more consistently, just truly rushing the passer. Um, Anderson, I still think he's more of a pass rush specialist type guy. Again, I was impressed with how he handled the run more so than at any point in his career. But I think he's more of a third down guy. He'll play some that we didn't see him play any star really on Saturday because we're not going to get exotic. We don't want to show any of that kind of stuff. We were pretty vanilla, at least how we lined up in our formations defensively. But he'll clearly be on the field a lot because he has to be on the field a lot. I think Nolan Smith might just have a few more opportunities there. So I'm going to go Nolan, I guess, if I had to. But I don't know. One of those two guys for sure. I thought I was going to have to force you to pick one. Uh, uh, Yeah. uh, Nolan. No. Because Nolan, I think, is more... He's more of a fit for what Aziz did last year for us. Adam is just a different kind of player. He's a little more versatile, does some different things. So if you're talking about who's going to replace Aziz Ojolari, I'm going to go with Nolan Smith. All right. All right. So that's our recap of Georgia's 2021 football spring practice. But we are not done yet. Don't go anywhere because we've got some Georgia tennis to talk about. The women's tennis team just wrapped up their second consecutive 13-0 SEC regular season. And they have been straight up dominant. I crunched numbers. I tweeted this out yesterday. It's crazy to think about. The women's team has outscored SEC opponents 52-5 to over the course of the conference slate en route to the number one seed in this week's SEC tournament in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we will open with the winner of number nine seed in Kentucky versus number eight seed Ole Miss on Wednesday at 10 a.m., which is incredibly annoying. Very annoyed by how they're structuring the tournament this year, but whatever. But Charlie... We know how great this team is. Just how big of a favorite are our girls this weekend? Like, would you be absolutely stunned if we don't end up winning this thing? Yes. At this point? Yes. I think the SEC is still good on the women's side this year. I don't think it's as strong as it was back in 2019. No, it's not. South Carolina is not as good. Florida is good. I don't think Florida is as good. Vanderbilt is not nearly as good as they were. So... I think our girls are the prohibitive favorites. Doesn't mean you're going to win it because we were in this position back in 2019, but that's I don't want to remind you this. I know it sucks, but we ended up losing a heartbreaker in the SEC tournament final, went down to the wire. We ended up losing that match. Hopefully that does not happen again, but what is your biggest concern heading into the SEC tournament? This is a, I think we are the huge favorites here, but if, you, if there's anything that's concerning about you, if there's any way that we could possibly not win this thing, I don't sound too cocky, but there's any way that we possibly don't end up winning this. What is going to be the reason? Just fatigue. It's warmer now. They have to play Wednesday, Thursday, if they make it. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So now they're no longer... Typically, the tennis teams will play Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. So they don't have a day of rest between. And all of our doubles players play singles with the exception yeah. of Ariana. Yeah, she's the only one. So, Five out of six of them. And Marta plays singles, but she doesn't play doubles. So they're all having to do double duty, which is quite exhausting. It's warming up. And plus, we also had to play Texas A&M on Sunday. Right. So in Tuscaloosa. So our first match is not until Wednesday. We probably would have gone up there if we didn't have to play A&M until like Tuesday. So we had to spend, we're basically going to be spending a full, almost not quite a full week, but close to a full week in Tuscaloosa, out, outside of your comfort zone, not in your same bed. And, and you can say that for all other teams, but most of those teams might not have gotten there until, again, like Tuesday. So that's a minor thing. And that's what we have to do. We have to kind of nitpick because this team is really good. And we absolutely should win this SEC tournament. And there's no guarantee. Things happen. Florida's good. Um, and, like, A&M, but like, Charlie, A&M is the number three seed, right? And we just destroyed them on Sunday. Yep, but like, anything can happen anything on any can given happen. day. Anything can happen. That is why you play the games. The matches is what tennis people do. They play matches, not games. But they they definitely have to be the prohibitive favorite. And, of course, we'll be keeping up with that all week long. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJA, to keep up with that. Or you can just follow the women's tennis team. They'll also do a good job of keeping you guys updated with what's going on as well. And then on the men's side, our guys have been in fuego over the past month winning seven SEC matches in a row and eight of the last nine overall to earn the number three seed in a first-round bye in this weekend's SEC tournament in Fayetteville. Let's not forget, guys, we actually had a, a, our very first, I think it was our, I, th- I think this is right, it's our very first tennis mailback question about a m- month or so ago is asking basically what's wrong with the men's tennis team because this team was one in four to open the conference slate after a spate of injuries really hamstrung the lineup but we are healthy now and we are rolling 
We're going to be facing the winner of the number 11 seed Auburn and number six South Carolina Wednesday at 10 a.m. Getting a three seed was really important, not only for the first round by, that's important in and of itself, but we also get to potentially avoid number one seed and number one overall ranked Florida until the championship match. They're actually undefeated in the SEC on the men's side right now. And we might have to play them, but it looks like right now if we want to play them unless until we get to the championship match if we get there. And there's always a chance they can get knocked off at some point between now and then. Probably not going to happen, but I guess you'd rather not to play them in the, in the semifinals if you can avoid that. But Charlie, the men are in a different position than the women are entering the SEC tournament. We're in a good spot, but we're certainly not the clear favorite. So what do you make of their SEC tur- tournament title aspirations this week? They need to win the doubles point. It's absolutely critical for them. Yep. We're good in singles. We're deeper than we have been in the past couple of years. But when you're playing, let's, let's say you're playing number two seed Tennessee, who we play in the semifinals if we get there. Those They have two really, really good singles players on courts one and court two, Adam Walton and, and, and Monday. Those guys are really good. So if you don't win the doubles point, now you got to win four out of six singles matches to win the match. So doubles point is going to be critical. We're going to need your boy. There's another one of your boys. Tyler Zink on court two has got to continue to play to the level he started to play towards the end of the season. Be the number one, number two player in the country a couple weeks ago from Texas A&M. Trent Bride's got healthy now, so he's got to continue to play like that. I think we were really good in singles, but you're right. The doubles point is critical. If we win the doubles point, I feel good about our chance to find a way to win three of those six singles matches and take the, um, and take the match and continue to survive in advance. It's going to be a lot of fun, though. Again, we have uh, the winner of the Auburn-South Carolina matchup. South Carolina's really good, guys. they got a, got a couple good singles players. They did beat us earlier in the year, so that would be a tough matchup on Wednesday at 10 a.m. in the quarterfinals. If we can get past that, it's probably going to be Tennessee, who we could have easily beat. I think we would have beaten them uh, early. I think it was actually our very first conference game of the season, conference match this season. That's when the injuries started to pop up. We were on our way to win the doubles point. Blake Croyder, uh, one of our uh, top doubles players, he and one of our top four singles players, he got hurt in that match, basically could not play on court one. And he was playing court, he had to play court one singles in that match because we were dealing with one of our other players. I think with Tyler Zing actually had COVID or he was dealing with a COVID scare. He was in quarantine at that point. Um, so he was already, we were already, our lineups were already messed up. And then Blake got injured there and basically couldn't move, couldn't serve, couldn't do anything. And we ended up losing the doubles point and ended up losing that match. Well, we kind of made a run there. So I think we can beat Tennessee, but it's going to be really tough. Um, it's a good team. But we'll see you guys. It'll be a lot of fun. Of course, again, just like the women's side, we'll have you guys completely covered there. It starts Wednesday for both the men and the women. They play Wednesday. If they win, they'll play Thursday. And if they win that, then the championship match will be on Friday, which is different than normal. Usually, it's a weekend thing. We can actually go watch these things. But unfortunately, because of COVID, I guess, they have it during the week, which is not super fun. But we'll have you guys covered. Make sure to follow that this week. We've got a good chance to win one, maybe, and who knows, maybe even both these things. But thanks for listening, guys. That's all we got for today. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. Have a great weekend. And as always, go dogs.